Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Coming up on this week's episode, we're going to look back at the draw v Wolves on Saturday. And after the sad news of the passing of former club captain and manager Glenn Roder, we'll be looking back at his time with the club. Chris will update us on all the important injury news as we look ahead to yet another can't-lose game at West Brom. And the quiz returns, and this week I'm asking the questions in a European special, and they are especially devilish. Here we go. Chris, George, how are we doing, chaps? Chris, how are you? Are you alright? I'm really angry. I'm really, really angry too. Why are you angry, I'm angry Chris? at what every single listener out there, and I'm angry at every single Newcastle United fan for creating the toxicity Why? around the situation, which has apparently put Newcastle where they are, according to Peter Crouch. They're not in the stadium, but it's their fault. Yeah. There is, there is only one set of fans in the world who could create toxicity by not being at a game of football, and that is us, isn't it, George? Absolute madness. Do you know what's happening through 5G? This is like 5G technology, so all Newcastle fans are getting really angry at their club, and it's getting sucked yeah. up into... I think this is how it works. It's getting sucked up into lampposts, and then it's being beamed to St James's Park That's through 5G and coming up through the electric system they use to keep the grass green and you know i think that is the peril of 5g so you know don't say we haven't been warned and don't say that we don't give you massive conspiracy theories yeah it's a load of bollocks that isn't it really it's just a load of bollocks. absolutely chris is very angry can I, can I can i tell you the real reason why chris is angry it's because he's um cut himself shaving and he's got a massive plaster across his chin wow and i've insisted yeah i don't know how he's done it i think he's shaving with a spoon <laughs> And um, I've asked him to send me a picture, which he very foolishly has done. So I might at some point put that out during the week when we plug the show. Lovely stuff. That sounds great, Chris. Cutting yourself, shaving, Chris. Are you 14? What's going on? Rather than the usual sort of, you know, you, you go sort of up up to down on the, on the face. I, for some reason, went horizontally across the part of your chin where there's... And I just cut off... There's, a, there's about an inch and a half of skin has just come up. And I, I looked down and the whole of the sink was just what? blood red. So, uh, yes, I, I... I said to Chris, how does he do that? And he says, sometimes I'm shaving and I get bored. <laughs> just it's like, I... how can you get bored? It takes, <laughs> it takes two minutes. And it's like the one time in the day when I'm not going to get bored is when I've got like a potentially lethal weapon in my own hand. Good Lord. Cutting my own face. How can you get bored shaving? Just wants shaving? to add a little yeah, bit went, of excitement into out, the daily shave, doesn't he? That's what it is. <laughs> I, I went out grouse shooting and I got a bit bored and that's why I blew off my own bollocks. <laughs> 
Oh, outstanding stuff. Well, lads, we've got plenty to get through. But before we jump in, I need to fill everybody in on the latest offer from The Athletic. Right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price of $3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of the wonderful podcasts as well. Have we got any articles out of the minute, chaps, that could tempt people into a subscription? Well, you get shaving you, you get shaving tips for free. Let me put you put it that way. Um, well, on a uh, in terms of looking at Newcastle's current situation, I have uh, done a piece basically. Uh, quite fatalistic really on the fact that Newcastle's Kong score goals without the front three yeah. who are now all absent so that's a very joyous read for you but equally George and I did a piece uh, over the weekend sort of looking at if and when Newcastle have under Mike Ashley have made decisions over managers so at the point where they are basically forced into making a change and have looked into historical examples used statistics really looked in depth at those situations and then also um, I also wrote uh, basically a tribute to, to, to Glenn Roder and trying to debunk this myth that that ignorant people have that, that Newcastle United only Newcastle United fans only want Geordies and they'll never accept mm. anyone else and sort of yeah. just just trying to, to to explain why Glenn Roder is cherished so much amongst Newcastle fans beyond the fact that when you speak to everyone he was just an absolutely lovely bloke. Wonderful stuff. George, what about you? Anything from your end of things? Well from that um from that Chris uh, piece piece Chris uh, talked about about sort of looking at historically when Mike Ashley's Newcastle sort of take decisions and when they don't mm. take decisions is the more is the more kind of pertinent point. The the, the fact is that um, you know Ashley is often talked about as a gambler, but at Newcastle, what he often gambles with is doing nothing. I mean that's a gamble yes. in its own yeah, sense, absolutely. knowing when to ride. Um, and there was. We used a quote from Lee Charnley at the start. I hope people are starting to realise now that when we feel we have the right person in that position, talking about management, indeed any position, our focus is on supporting them in order that together we can ride through the rough periods that inevitably come. And that was from a few years ago, but it does sort of show what um, what their sort of opinions are. And I think that's it's always useful going back through, through stuff like that. It was uh, around that quote. There was a, yet another... Um, moment when Charlie talked about communicating more and that hasn't happened uh, either um the other thing uh, that i worked on last week um was uh, i helped alan shearer with his uh, with his mailbox special which was quite fun there was lots of um lots of newcastle in there talking about uh, his his scrap with or near scrap with roy Keane. that was kind of quite fun um to to various other bits and bobs obviously including his concerns about uh, about Newcastle relegation and also his favourite biscuit being chocolate hobnob. It's a good dipper. It's a cracking dipper, that biscuit. biscuit. Yeah. Lovely stuff. Uh, well, yeah. so... Get yourself over to theathletic.com forward slash pod on the time to take advantage of the special 40% discount and check out all of those articles and all of that interesting stuff that George and Chris have just told you about. That's theathletic.com forward slash pod on the time. Right, chap, shall we move on? Let's have a little look back at the Wolves game. So, Wolves, one all. What were the odds there? Uh, it's always a one-all game, that one. But before we talk Newcastle's tactics, our producer has provided a clip from the Athletics Norwich City podcast, which might signify a bit of a worrying trend. Here's Ben Mounter on the Canaries midfield. To bring it back to Skip and McLean, how they've performed and how that midfield double pivot works is one of the most interesting talking points this season. Well, Chris, what do you think when you hear that? Double oh, pivot. Wow. That I hate everyone in the world right now. <laughs> do you, 
Surely you feel vindicated. Well, I do feel that. I do, I, this is your great. Tac- or maybe this bullshit has spread to another podcast. That's why. This is your great tactical. <laughs> this is your great. This is your moment, and it's 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 being grasped by other people. Double pivot in midfield. How did we know we were in the midst of tactical genius here? There's a double pivot. Incredible stuff. Wow, Chris, it's your time. Listen, oh, wow, so proud of you. So I did not see that coming, no, I have to be honest. I didn't. I just thought he was talking <laughs> shit yet again, but there you go. <laughs> well, speaking of talking shit, um, we had a bit of confusion at the weekend with substitutions and stuff like that. The system, all that kind of stuff, the Wolves game. Uh, it wasn't particularly pretty, was it? Newcastle went one up uh, through Jamal LaSalle and then were pegged back via a Ruben Neves header. Chris, what did you think of the game in general? Uh, Dubravka was back. The system seemed to be the same as what it had been in the past, but injuries and what have you uh, really scuppered Newcastle's chances of going away with the three points, didn't they? Yeah, well, there's a strange thing about Newcastle now whereby they are actually quite... The games are now quite entertaining to watch, particularly if you're neutral. I mean, that we went through such a long period where... Relatively. 18 months. Relatively. No, I, I think... I've, certainly first. I, actually, I've been relatively entertained by the last few games. Even more than relatively on certain occasions. Um, Isn't that which, a line from the film Gladiator? <laughs> are you not relatively entertained? a ringing endorsement as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but surely this relativity, it's a bit like being punched in the face repeatedly and then suddenly... You know, you know, you're not being punched in the face anymore, and so that for that that feels great. But really, that doesn't mean your life is wonderful. It's just you're not being punched in the face anymore. So you feel incredibly grateful to not being being repeatedly punched in the face. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I cover New, I cover Newcastle United professionally, so I expect that you're still covered in bruises, Chris, or in your case, one and a half inches of skin is missing from your chin because you're incapable Razor of shaving. But but it's not. I mean, yes, it was it was good. But I mean, sorry, and I don't. I'm not trying to interrupt you here, but Wolves were also terrible, and Wolves are always terrible in the first half. That's something else to say. Yeah. But was it? I mean, it wasn't like it's not Barcelona, is well, it? Well, no, it's not Barcelona, but I mean, it, it, it was still example. there was a you could see the way that Newcastle w- were trying to play, and it was it was interesting that they had yes. the system was the same, but it it had been tweaked slightly, and so Shelby had moved to to be in the midfielder, Hayden had moved side to the left. I think it benefited Shelby, who I thought played well. I don't think it benefited Isaac Hayden, who I didn't think played as well and wasn't uh, as as pre- uh, much of a presence. But Miguel Almiron, certainly first, well, first 30 minutes was, was excellent again, I thought. Was, and, and we saw glimpses of Alan Sam Maximan, obviously the two players who were getting. I don't know who Newcastle are not going to see any more of for the rest of this month, at least. The, I mean, the, the issue with the issue with the pl- they're playing better and they are looking like creating opportunities, but they, they can't <laughs> score goals. They just, ca- they just yeah. cannot score. And we always knew that was going to be a problem with Wilson. Almiron had an excellent opportunity where I think he should score. And some people say he's unlucky. And I can see where they come from. But he's too one-on-one. He should score. Joe Willock should score when he's set up. And the, yeah, the chance that Maximan put in and was offside. Yeah. Joe Willock definitely should yeah, score should. there. And then, jo- and then Joe Linton should score during the second half. Again, people are saying it's unlucky. And yeah, possibly. But he puts the ball in the one place the defender can can keep it. I mean, the defender, how it doesn't go in, I have no idea. But the defender, it's the, yeah. it's literally the one place where the defender can get to it, and he does. So all of the... And, and Alan Shearer spoke about this the other, the other day, I think it was on Match of the Day, where he said he's, he's got to put it low, proper striker puts that low, you make sure you, t- you take that opportunity. And so Newcastle had chances, yeah. and they did not take them. First half in particular, first half an hour, and I agree with George, Wolves were terrible. And, yeah, apparently they are like that every week. For, uh, why... 
I have no idea, but they seem to always start games slowly. They seem quite happy to just grow into it. And Newcastle, like against Manchester United, didn't take their opportunities in the time they had them. And eventually they were punished. And and yes, I know that they took the lead during the second half. Very good header from Jamal Lascelles. But in the end, they were sort of hanging on for that point. And that was the, that was the strain. Yes, injuries affected the match and things like that. But at the end of the day, Newcastle now, in the over the course of the last few weeks, they've played Sheffield United away, lost. They've played yeah. Leeds United at home, lost. They've played Crystal Palace at home, lost. Mm-hmm. They played Southampton at home and won, so that's the one team in the bottom half that managed to win. And they've played Wolves at home and they've drawn. So it's like at some point, who who is it they actually are going to be capable of beating? Because that is when you look at the fixtures coming up, and obviously the massive one on Sunday, that is the concern. Who is it they're actually yes. going to start? See, Bruce can say what he wants about improved performances or whatnot, but the actual improved performances, some of them are coming against teams that Newcastle actually need to be beaten and they need to be beating them now. Those improved performances really do need to turn into points, don't they? And, and Newcastle struggled uh, at times on Saturday, although there, there was a little bit more attacking intent in the first half, like you say, but we struggled to deal with uh, Adama Traore's pace and power uh, down that right-hand side, and, and uh, Emil Kraft got himself in all kinds of uh, states trying to keep up with him. I would imagine if somebody sort of fired a greased-up missile at you, it would be similar to having a Dharma Traore run at you. You'd absolutely shit yourself, wouldn't you, George? He's, he's like, well, I'd shit myself just being on a football pitch before stopping. <laughs> I, I mean, you see, I can run. I can run I can run all day. You know, I've run marathons. I can run, I can run in a straight line. But if you ask me to deviate from that straight line in any mm. way, shape or form, I'd be absolutely, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be no good at all. So somebody who's moving side to side in a kind of, vaguely quick fashion um i'd shoot myself yeah the the, but, the uh, sight of the sight of a trainer lubricating up triore before the game it was amazing slightly that, disconcerted me i must say it was it was <laughs> it was uh it was kind of br- it was brilliant um saying that but i mean no I, I i agree with everything chris said i mean i suppose the thing about the improved performances i mean so this has now become a sort of thing and you know we've we've <laughs> we we talked so much last season about the way Newcastle playing not was not sustainable and yet they were yeah. sustaining it and suddenly it then you know i think i think everything reverted back to sort of the norm and those performances weren't picking up points then they weren't picking up points this season and so that that unsustainability stopped i think the improve important performances though are important because I just don't think Newcastle would have got anything out of the games they've got without this attempt to to get further up the pitch because they've also forgotten how to defend I mean that's another thing that's um you know that's worth worth mentioning that a team that that was sort of known for being uh very very solid can't defend anymore so you know, without the improved performance, I don't think we'd have got the win over Everton, and I, Newcastle certainly wouldn't have been in a got themselves in a position to beat Southampton, um, albeit with nine men on the pitch by the end. So I think the improved performance is important. I mean, God knows what happens next because without those attacking players, um, it you know it it sort of raises so many so many questions about about what Steve Bruce does and how, how we handle it. I know we'll come on to this towards the end of the podcast, but but um, you know, so I, I think that's sort of important context though for the improved performance because I just don't think. I mean, Newcastle had to find a way of winning games because they weren't they sure as hell weren't doing it beforehand. So I think that has been sort of important. Um, you know, I come away from that game feeling feeling pretty flat really. Um, 
because it felt to me like that was a game Newcastle had to win. Um, I mean, just to sort of set down a marker to Fulham in the end, that wasn't necessary perhaps because Fulham Fulham drew the next day. But um, it feels, you know, it's, it's feeling bleak again, really, I think. Yeah, Martin Dubravka came back as well into the team, didn't he, Chris? And what was what was your opinion on his performance? Obviously, replaced Carl Darlow, who hadn't done an awful lot wrong, um, but we all agreed last week that he was probably in need of a bit of a break. Um, and you know, the, the the did Steve Bruce throw him under the bus a little bit with his comments after the game? And and obviously, Dubravka made a great save as well towards the end. What was your what was your view on that? Well, Steve Bruce, over the course of the space of five days, seems to have alienated both his goalkeepers in different ways. He does. Yeah. First of all, how it came out that. That, uh, that the change was being made and my understanding is yeah there was some frustration from Carl Dolo and other senior players about maybe how that was handled but also yes Carl, I mean Dubravka I thought for most of the game maybe it wasn't didn't come through on TV I don't know obviously I was at St James's Park but I thought he looked nervous at large points I think whenever the ball came near him uh, mm. he didn't seem to know what he exactly was going to do distribution wise um, then yes he probably should do better for the goal, although we'll get onto that because I think there's quite a few people who should do better for the goal, including probably the coaching Absolutely. staff and everyone else involved in Newcastle United. But um, then he makes the, the fantastic save and injury time. I don't know how much he knows about it, but he gets himself into that position to make sure he saves yeah. it. And obviously that that, that made ensured that Newcastle had got a point. I, I, I agree. I do think it was just about the right decision, but um, equally. Carl Dollar, as we as you discussed, wasn't the the problem with Newcastle. And again, that wasn't the problem. The keeper was not the problem so much at the weekend. It wasn't mm. just his fault that the goal was was conceded in the end. He, he basically ensured they got the point towards the the end of the game. And I, I mean that that goal was it. It was almost like a car crash. Rain. How many? <laughs> as was, soon as it? as soon as Matt Ritchie came on, I saw he walked across to Isaac Hayden and he said something. Hayden sort of shook his head and then didn't read it only sort of jogged it a few meters and then sort of stopped and didn't go anywhere and suddenly you were thinking well who the heck is playing right back now and subsequently yeah. it turns out apparently they seemingly were trying to move to a five-man defense or at some point they moved to a five-man defense um i mean yeah. jamie carragher's analysis of this was very good on, on on monday night football when he sort of went yeah, through exactly that. step by step what happened because i didn't see all of that necessarily at the time but later on for the for the rest of the game i was still trying to work out whether hayden was a right back whether he's a right center back where exactly yeah. Jacob Murphy was. I still have no idea where Matt Ritchie was playing. I cannot tell you where Matt Ritchie was playing when he came on. Absolutely no idea. Um, no, not but a clue. That, that, that confusion, obviously we've seen this before. Steve Bruce's first game in charge, Jetro Willems comes on initially in centre midfield and gets switched to, to left wing back, Newcastle concede. Then also there was a game a few matches on where Isaac Hayden comes across the touchline and basically says well, what what's going on asks a question as to where everyone's meant to be playing and it seemed that, that, that this sort of problem come up but Bruce came out afterwards and said oh yeah we need to improve this sort of communication it's, like, it's, it's an empty stadium it's an empty yeah, stadium yeah. How, how that sort yeah. of situation arose um, just sort of it just sort of typifies the real issues Newcastle have at the moment and just seems that there are a lot of problems I thought it was interesting in that Carragher um, that Carragher analysis of that situation that he kind of he took the blame away from the coach and from Steve Bruce and, and Graham Jones and put it onto the players and said that the players should have organised more quickly Matt Ritchie should have got his message across better and stuff like that but unless you're down at pitch level you don't really know what was said do you um, and, and also 
Isn't, isn't, isn't it really the responsibility of a coach to make sure tactical messages get passed across onto the pitch in a timely manner to make sure that the team are set up for whatever comes at them? Uh, it, it's not the players' responsibility to do that. They, I mean, obviously, they share responsibility, but but really, it's down, that's down to the coaching staff to make sure those things are, are getting done properly, isn't it? Yes, I mean, it, I mean, I think it is their, I think it is their responsibility. I think you make a good point about the stadium being empty because you can't sort of really make the claim that, you know, in the heat of battle, these things didn't get hear lost them. because there's no, because because yeah, I didn't hear because there isn't, there's no noise. So, um, and I suppose you know what you want from your what you what you want from your coaches is, is a is a very clear, is a very clear, straightforward plan and straightforward instructions about what to do having said that the coach could do it and then the player not not pass it on efficiently i mean yeah, that is yeah. if the play, if mark ritchie wasn't listening or you know wasn't paying enough attention and i'm not trying yeah. to blame him for it because i don't know you know you don't know i mean that yeah that, it's perfectly possible for that to happen but then you would think that the coaching staff should be able to see that pretty quickly as well um you know because that is their you know that is their job and there's enough of them to, to to sort of be watching and again it's that it is that feeling of slight sort of sloppiness or just yes. not enough instruction or that feeling of being ragged now if you look at Newcastle over the past couple of games they've lost a huge number of players to injuries it's not that this was a tactical change yeah. and and therefore you know there should be a clear tactical plan it was like oh god another one's gone down another one's gone down another yeah. one's gone down and so it's a very reactive um situation and so there, there's a bit you know there is that sort of mitigation for that but it's not like we're making a tactical change so this is what we have to do it's responding to something and then and then having to do it so and that so that is less less easy i guess but mm, you know they're in yeah. the premier league it's very rare that you hear a post-match interview like that, where the manager or head coach is being asked questions about not being able to pass details on effectively. I mean, that doesn't happen very often. Why was the free kick taken? I mean, that was it was Newcastle who had the ball, so it was Newcastle had the opportunity not to. That's where I didn't understand. That's where I think the players' sort of management maybe doesn't come through. Is to I know they were keen to get the game restarted, but you've basically brought that problem on yourself. If you just waited another ten seconds, fifteen seconds, to make sure everyone knew where they were meant to be. And then they end yeah. up giving the ball away. And, I mean, it was interesting because in the aftermath of the goal, I saw Jamal Lascelles sort of shouting across. I thought he first he was shouting to the fourth official and then I realised he was shouting to the bench to try and find out what was meant to be going on. And it was just that sort of that confusion continued. And in his post-match interview afterwards, I mean, you saw that confusion again where he basically said he was still going to go and find out exactly what had gone on. And that's... It, it, it is where I agree it, 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 it was difficult because they were trying to change so much. But it, it begs the question why, why with one change are you trying to maybe change the position of four players as well that seemed to me to be a, a big sort of change yeah. to make whereas you could have maybe got Matt Ritchie to initially go on at right wing back or whatever and then slightly change it it was it was a very big move albeit yes I know they're reacting and it's a difficult situation but it, it seemed a lot of information to try and deliver all at once to tell four players essentially to change positions it did uh George given given everything else that that kind of went our way this weekend with other results and stuff like that has have the injuries and the the failure to close out the game left us feeling a bit more a bit more sort of despondent and down than we should be about this I mean it's still a point isn't it well I mean I watched Fulham the next day and that was kind of quite reassuring in the sense that they weren't you know they weren't brilliant I mean they've been on a fantastic fantastic run of form um but crystal palace sort of did what crystal palace are capable of doing i mean they um 
you know, they're very difficult to play against. I mean, Fulham had a couple of great chances, but, you know, that draw at least was reassuring because it kept the gap. It kept the gap there to three points. So that felt to me like the game that Fulham needed to win because they've now got Tottenham, Liverpool, Man City and then Leeds. They've got a tough, you know, those first three games, Spurs, Liverpool and Man City, it's going to be very, very difficult for them to get three points out of that. So the the other side of the argument about Newcastle, I mean, it's very difficult to see Newcastle winning games at the moment without their, you know, without their sort of attacking players, their most important pl- attacking players who have, you know, who are responsible for so many uh, of their goals. On the other hand, it is still a chance. West Brom, Villa, Brighton, you know, gives them an opportunity to to pull ahead and to pull ahead of Brighton who were kind of right back in it now. So it's not all doom and gloom at this point, but I do feel that it feels like a massive game. Yes, indeed it is. Um, Let's move on a little bit now. We're going to go into our archives now. And this week, it is, of course, a Glenn Roder special. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Sad news over the weekend, chaps. We learned of Glenn Roder's passing. Uh, obviously had been fighting ill health for a while. Uh, but... I think without a doubt we can call him a Southerner who was adopted as an honorary Geordie, uh, a calm and classy footballer and also a dignified and calm man in the dugout as Newcastle manager as well. And a great shame to hear of his passing over the weekend. Uh, It's come a little bit out of the blue, Chris, this one, didn't it? And I I know we've kind of, Glenn's had problems over the years with with ill health and stuff like that, but it kind of knocked the wind out of me a little bit, this. Yeah, it did with me as well. And and it did with with some of his... Uh, former colleagues as players and, and, and also when he was manager at Newcastle I know a lot of people who who weren't really sure of it I spoke to John Anderson for example yesterday and he didn't didn't know that, that, that Glenn had fallen in ill again obviously he'd, be, he'd had initially mm. had the brain tumour diagnosed in 2003 mm-hmm. and so it was basically nearly 18 years he, he, he'd had this 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 issue but um, I think he'd been dealing with it again for, for for a relatively long period of time. I actually spoke to him last summer. And we'll hear a clip of that in a little bit. And he didn't he didn't say to me either about how how he'd been ill. He was very gracious with his time. He didn't do much media mm. in his last few years. And I do wonder if that was because of of his illness. But w- when I explained to him the piece that that I spoke to him for was when George and I did a piece basically looking back at what it's like to manage Newcastle United and try to speak to as many Newcastle United managers as possible. He eventually agreed to do it. And when I spoke to him, just what came across was his, just his affection for the club and his admiration for supporters. It was just, 
it, it really does come across. And you mentioned uh, sort of ad- adopted Geordie, where he referred to himself as, as the Cockney Geordie when he when he was appointed manager <laughs> in a, in two thousand and five. Yeah. And he did see it that way. And he's someone who came from the outside and, and, and came here, and he, and he absolutely adored his time and at Newcastle and he spoke about that he just said that Newcastle fans are different and I know that people roll their eyes from elsewhere if they look at it and say oh well, what, what what do you mean by that but it, but he would he, he said he compared it to the other clubs he was at he compared it to, to QPR and he said you'll have a few yeah. QPR fans who are really passionate but there are that it, it isn't sort of their life he said whereas you come up to Newcastle that is that that is the the exception is the is a Newcastle fan who's only partly interested it's it, it's a life and everyone would would chat to him about it and were obsessed with the club and wanted it to do well, and he loved that, and he and he absolutely loved the club and wanted it to to fulfil its potential as much as possible, both as a, as a player and as a manager. And he and he was he played a very important role during those times because in the eighties, I mean, obviously it's before my time, I can't really speak of him as a player, but there was mm. so much off field trouble at that point as well. He was obviously for for Paul Gascoigne, he was sort of his mentor to a certain degree. He was yes. the one who really yeah. helped Paul Gascoigne come along, and it was a time when Newcastle was selling all their sort of best players, the best youngsters, the likes of Waddle. Uh, the likes of Gaza, Beardsy, all these players moved on, and and Roda was there as captain at a time when the club went down, and then and then had a difficult sort of spell. But he, he was an important off-field figure, and then when he came in in two thousand five, as we'll get onto in a bit, he obviously really did as as caretaker manager in particular had a, had a massive impact. He did, and I mean, George, I'm not sure what your memories are of Roda as a as a as a player. If you have much of memory, I I was aware of him as a Newcastle player in the eighties, but I, I didn't. I, obviously, I wasn't really old enough to 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 kind of watch the team at the time, um, but he he was a, from what I've seen, he was a very classy player. He was a good, strong centre half. He he was comfortable on the ball, good in the air as well. And and you know, I, he he did have a real affinity for the club, didn't he? And it seemed like the the people took him took him in and took them to his uh, took him to their hearts, should I say? Yeah, yeah, I know. I do remember. I was a kind of early mid mid teen when he was a player at Newcastle, and obviously played in. <laughs> played in the same team as as Gaza and Beasley and Waddle and Keegan and and think and players like that and no the word classy is is exactly right I mean he was a classy fella um, but he loved he loved being on the ball and um, yeah the, the famous shuffle. shuffle and the the, fa- the famous shuffle and a, a really good player and yeah it 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 did become more difficult towards the towards the end in terms of the sort of turmoil that the club was going for and then you know. That obviously that that time as manager too. I mean, particularly the um, the six months when he came in, also when he came in after Graham Souness, and not only steadied the ship to use that cliche, but set Newcastle on an incredible um, run of form. I mean, in that to, you know to to the extent that it became impossible for the club not to appoint him, and it was never their plan, but he was so. You know the form. The form was so good that um, yeah, left them with sort of very little, very little choice. Um, and I've forgotten actually. I've spoken to I've spoken to Alan Alan Shearer today, and I'd forgotten that he'd he actually made Alan assistant manager, and it was Alan's last season as a player, and Alan had forgotten. <laughs> Alan had forgotten, but uh, but he so I sort of asked him today. I sort of said, "What what did you actually do?" And he said he did very little really. You know that initially he was to be his sort of eyes and ears really at the start, but that Glenn's first game of manager was the game that Shearer broke the record, um, Jackie Milburn's record, and uh, Shearer's last game in football um, was against Sunderland and. Um, 
we'll obviously be talking about that a bit too. So so Glenn was, and Alan said that he, he then sort of helped a bit more sort of directly after that because he, he was then injured at that point. But um, yeah. Uh, we've got a, a clip from uh, from Glenn Rodas playing days in black and white. Uh, just have a little listen to this. And that will be the first corner of the game. McDonald usually takes him. That's taken short. Beardsley to Gascoigne. Beardsley to the byline. And the cross is good. And Rodas' header is good too. It's in the back of the net anyway. Gary Walsh perhaps disappointed not to have claimed that cross. But Glenn Roder, the Newcastle skipper, has put United ahead. Wonderful stuff. Those old commentaries are great on there. And I mean, I know I'm saying old. It's not even that old, is it? It's the 80s. But it just sounds like a totally different era, doesn't it? Uh, United as there. well. Newcastle United. I, li- I like the reference to United as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Newcastle we, United. We, we've watched that full clip. Actually, we should put it up. We should put it up when we uh, when the pod comes out so people can watch themselves. There's a brilliant bit of proper old school football shithousery as well, which is um, there's a proper reducer tackle um by it's Norman Whiteside isn't it on Ando on yeah. John Anderson uh, over by the um over by the wing and Ando you know absolutely a hard man in his own right goes down and stays down for a while and clearly is in discomfort anyway gets on and carries on and uh, is limping across the field anyway Whiteside's on the ball and Peter Jackson just goes flying in on him <laughs> And it was like, yeah, okay, you got my mate. There you go back. And there's a proper, you know, there's a melee straight after that. But it was that, I love those sort of old-fashioned, it was like, no, you got my mate, I'm going to get you back. And uh, it was brilliant, brilliant moment. Absolutely. Well, speaking about Glenn Roder as well as the manager, um, one of his most famous uh, moments as Newcastle manager, the 4-1 win at the Stadium of Light against Sunderland in the game that we were talking about just a moment ago there, Alan Shearer's uh, last game for the club as well. Uh, What an afternoon that was. Uh, 1-0 down, 4-1 up. Albert Luque wraps it up. Uh, Have a listen to this. Bramble for company. Stead has done well. He's got away from Bramble momentarily. In by Whitehead! Sunderland in front, Justin Hoyt. Well, he started the move, didn't he, Justin Hoyt? And just look at the celebrations. Brilliant play. You'd have to say it's exactly what Sunderland have deserved. They've been the best side by far. So a striker for a midfielder, understandable. Yeah, Glenn had to change things. So what they'll do is Kieran Dyer will slot into midfield. Five will just try and protect the back four. They'll get. Oh, it's a mistake there. It almost lets Chopper in, and it has. And Michael Chopra, only on the field, a matter of seconds. Horrible mistake at the back, but full credit to Chopra. He was alive and he has scored with his first touch. 15 seconds, Michael Chopra had been on the field before he scored that equaliser. Now it's a penalty for Newcastle United. And it's been conceded by the Sunderland goal scorer in the first half, Justin Hoyt. And we are... Witnessing an extraordinary turnaround in this match. Alan Shearer says as he gets older, the feeling of scoring gets sweeter and sweeter, and that will taste very nice indeed. In his last weird time derby, Alan Shearer has put Newcastle United in front. Two goals in what? Barely two minutes. Newcastle fans with very little to shout about, got plenty. At the moment, here comes Anzogby, a great run! Oh, that's a wonderful...
wonderful goal from Charles and Zogbia. The 19-year-old snaked through that Sunderland defence and found the bottom corner. 3-1 Newcastle. Better on by and Zogbia. Oh, and uh, two Sunderland defenders left it for one another. And there's a real chance to wrap it up now for Luque. And he's taken it. Awful Sunderland defending again. But for Newcastle, this season just gets better and better. Unbelievable turnaround in the Weir Tyne derby. Well, you've just seen another example why Sunderland are relegated on 11 points. Absolutely atrocious defending. Absolutely brilliant stuff there. That that Charles and Zogbia goal was a beaut, wasn't it? I feel sick just listening to that. I mean, it's like I've got that sort of <laughs> derby feeling. Just the noise—it's just brilliant. I mean, Lush, it's Sunderland, it? but one of those—you know—Sunderland, the stadium alike. When it's like that, it's like properly sort of. Oh my god, the noise! But you can just hear it. Sunderland, I. I I was there, I remember it vividly. Yeah. Sunderland were good in the first half, particularly as the commentator said there, you know, they'd already, they were already relegated on 11 points, but um, mm. they were good in the first half and Newcastle weren't, they were really poor and Rhoda was not the kind of man to lose his shit, but he he did, he did at half-time that yes. day. I remember he went absolutely ballistic and um, it, had, it had an effect, but yeah, no, Sunderland were, Sunderland were kind of unfortunate to, to, to even... To even be level, but um, God, that noise—that's the thing that strikes me more than anything. Listening to that, Christ. Well, when I spoke to Rhoda last summer, he said that was the game that he enjoyed most as managing Newcastle. Wow. He said obviously because he had the result in the end, but he, he said that, and he, and he said actually after the game, I remember he talked about Kevin Ball and Kevin Ball when. Sunderland scored he celebrated massively and was running up and down and, and Rhoda obviously was renowned for being calm he was renowned for being calm as a player he, he gave mm. me a quote about how his teammates used to say there could be a bomb going off in the next to you in the in the, in the penalty area and you would not panic and he, he said he, he tried to be the same as a manager he, he wasn't expressive on the yeah, touchline yeah, that no, wasn't, he wasn't he always thought yeah. to be level headed and he said that someone needed to tell Kevin Ball that the game doesn't last 30-odd minutes, a game lasts 90 minutes. And so by the end, obviously, Newcastle had come and 1-4-1. And so I think he got immense satisfaction from that. And to lead oh, yeah. Newcastle in a derby away from home at Sunderland and win 4-1, he was he was still immensely proud of that, even up to last year. I would, I would, I would just say Kevin Ball is someone who I know quite well. I've got to know, you know, over the over the years, and I would just put myself in his his shoes a little bit about how appalling <laughs> Sunderland have been and the job he had. Yeah. And so I think, you know, I think I think that that game for them that day and for Kevin Ball it was all about pride. And so going, you know, going ahead like that, I'm sure was a sort of massive massive thing for him but anyway whatever you know whatever works for you as a manager or as a team to to motivate to motivate you but um it did and it didn't turn out to be a good day for Lanchura because that was the end of his career that day hasn't kicked a ball since then but not a bad way to bow out he exercised some demons though didn't he yes indeed yes indeed yeah can I just touch upon the the run that they went on under Rodo when he first I mean he took over so I think Sooness was sacked on the 2nd of February 2006 Newcastle were 15th and they had, and 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 basically that they were they were in relegation trouble, and he and he, he took over, and and their run was just absolutely that astonishing. I mean, they only lost three games, and they were they were all in the road together, yeah. but they picked up. Um, I'm, I've got to, they picked up thirty two points in the last fifteen matches and finished seventh. It's just God, ex- mad, ex- isn't it? absolutely extraordinary run. That is ridiculous. I remember the there was a game against Tottenham at, at White Hart Lane that we won. Was that I think it was. Um, 
3-1. Yeah, was that the game that Paul Huntington scored? Absolute madness. It was just there was some ridiculous, uh, ridiculous games and ridiculous results around that run, and obviously Glenn Roder took us uh, to inter total glory, uh, something uh, which he apparently now puts on his CV uh, according to a, a conversation that he had with Chris. That's wrong. It's on my CV. Sorry. Yes, that is. That is. That is <laughs> yes. I'll tell you what made me change my Lovely stuff. So he was a, that was Scott that Parker's was finest hour. It was Scott Parker's hour. <laughs> that was it was funny because in that in that conversation it was when we, it was it was it was for that piece looking at Sony Castle Manage and, and and my question to him had been for a club that hasn't won a trophy since nineteen sixty nine and he didn't like that trophy. I think he, he, he went on to then add major trophy and he was Paving adamant. He was like, it was it was he was I mean he was saying, he was saying it in jest and it was obviously yeah. it was obviously a bit of a joke. But 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 it, yeah, so he was saying that was the reason why he, he put it onto his CV and I thought it was quite a, it was quite a funny moment. But that, I mean the end of total cup run was uh, yeah you've got the famous pictures of Scott Parker looking yeah. face like a smack backside when he's presented with it because it was the bizarre thing that. Several teams would be in the Intertoto Cup. I think it was three or four teams would qualify from the Intertoto Cup into the UEFA Cup each year. And then the team who won it was the team who advanced subsequently furthest in the UEFA Cup. Yeah. And so Newcastle eventually got it for, for getting to the, to the last 16. But it did produce some wonderful memories. I mean, it was another European run. And what, what, what Newcastle fans would give to, to have those days back of sort of travelling around Europe and, and, and being oh, yeah. in those competitions. They had to fight. The club had to fight to get him appointed on a permanent contract as well because he didn't have the right coaching badges and so so he had to sort of, I think as, if my memory serves I think he had to sort of do the pro licence whatever it was whilst sort of whilst whilst doing the jobs but yeah they had to lobby they had to lobby the Premier League for him to get given the job and as I said earlier you know they, they sort of had no choice by the end of that season it wasn't part of the plan that he would take over full time but um, mm. the form that season was so extraordinary that um, it sort of left them with no choice. Yes, well, there you go. A lot of great memories uh, and, a, and a wonderful man and a, a great club captain and manager for Newcastle United there, Glenn Roder, uh, passing away at the age of 65 over the weekend. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
So let's move on, chaps. Uh, upcoming games, we've got West Brom, Villa and Brighton, and we've got an awful lot of injuries at the minute. Chris, what, what do you actually see uh, Newcastle doing over the next couple of weeks? Where are the goals going to come from? What's the potential system in the eleven going to be? And how the, how the hell do we figure this one out? Well, let me just say, if you're listening to this podcast on Friday morning and Fulham have beaten Tottenham the night before, then yes, Newcastle are in the relegation zone and yes, they are heading for the championship. But hopefully <laughs> that isn't the case. Hopefully hopefully you're listening to this oh, podcast on, uh, on Thursday. Looking forward to that game and Spurs do Newcastle United a favour. But... I think that, that yeah, that, that Fulham game is huge because Newcastle for the first time could drop into the bottom three th- th- this season. It would be the first time since October 2019. And that then would change the dynamic for a start because they would then be chasing because they would have a worse goal difference in Fulham, albeit they'd have, they'd have the same yeah. number of points. And it would also change the dynamic for Steve Bruce because as George and I wrote in the piece we mentioned earlier... It's when Newcastle have dropped into the relegation zone towards the back end of a season that they have have, have made a change of manager previously. So that's when that could come mm. about. But in terms of West Brom on Sunday, it is massive. It's certainly a must not lose, but I, I would I would borderline say it's a must win because if they can't beat West Brom, who as I mentioned, who are they who are they going to start yeah. beating? Who are they, who are they going to win? But the the issue is, and people look and say oh, you should beat West Brom, but. Why should Newcastle beat anyone at the moment? For the reasons that I mentioned earlier, it's not. It's it's not as if they have any sort of form. It's not. A, they couldn't beat the bottom of the table team away from home. They couldn't beat Wolves this weekend, who, who were poor. That they, they, they couldn't beat Crystal Palace. Unfortunately, I can't be overly optimistic and say that Newcastle will go yeah. in there and win, given all the injuries and given the fact that sixty percent of their goals have, have been lost in Callum Wilson, Ansar Maximan, and Miguel Almiron. Yeah. Only one other player has scored more than once in the league this season, and that's Jeff Hendrick, who's not even in the team at the moment, and he's not exactly yeah. a natural goal scorer. And then you go beyond that and you take the influence that those three have out of the team, not just their goals, but their assists, their link-up play, the fact that they are Ansel Maxman, you can just see, terrorises the opposition just being on the pitch. They're worried about him. When you remove those elements... It, it, it's going to be a very different Newcastle United team on Sunday. I think we're likely to see Dwight Gale, and I'd like to see him through the middle rather than out on the right as he, as he, as he was at, at uh, Chelsea. The one positive I would say, if you're going to take it as a positive, would be that I thought Ryan Fraser made a difference second half against Wolves in that he's direct. He actually gets the ball in the box, and that's why you need Dwight Gale to be in the middle and to be in the box rather than out on the right, because if you're going to play Ryan Fraser and tell him to get balls in the box, you want a striker in there who yeah, can actually finish them. Joe Linton, we know that's not what he's going to bring if he's going to be the third forward in that formation. He he can be the one who's slightly out wider. But those, I mean, it become they become so crucial to, to Newcastle now that the, the hopes for the next few weeks, at least, because it looks like Newcastle released a statement this morning saying it's going to be April for St. Maximan and Almiron. Actually, for Almiron, that is more of a positive. I think the initial reaction on Saturday night was they were yeah, worried it might be a season, season over. Yeah. Because of because of his knee, so it looks like yeah. it's his, I think it's his medial ligament. He's tweaked a little bit. Sam Maximan, I think may come back even sooner. Potentially, they won't want to take a risk on him because of the fact it's a, it's a muscle injury. And he's had so many muscle injuries, but that one really isn't actually as bad. And I, and that one, yes, it probably won't be before the international break, but I could potentially see him being back just after that. But Newcastle have to navigate these next three games. I mean, the the, the, ne- the next few matches, they certainly can't afford to lose against West Brom and Brighton, the two teams in and around them. But ideally, they need to win. Otherwise, it's going to become very mm. much even more so squeaky bum time. Well, George, West Brom will be looking at this game and thinking, you know, they're, they're only three, they're, they're, they'll only be three points behind Fulham if they can get a win against Newcastle. They'll, they'll be up for this. They'll fancy it, won't they? Well, I mean, particularly after their sort of fairly extraordinary victory over over Bryant at the at the weekend. I mean, and they've, you know, they've put a, 
they put a little run of form together, drawing with Man U and, and Burnley uh, before then. So, yeah, you would yeah. think that they've got a lot of confidence and you just know with Sam Allardyce what he will be doing and that will be targeting Newcastle's weak spots. And unfortunately, with all the injuries they've got, they've, you know, even if they didn't before, they have got a lot of weak spots. So that's pretty scary. But, I mean, you know, I agree. It's that sort of horrible thing saying, you know, they've lost these three... You know, arguably their three most important. Well, not even arguably, they've lost their three most important attacking players, but they have to find a way of getting positive results. So, and I think these, I do think these three games are massively crucial. So they can't lose them, um, and they've got to find a way of picking up points. And I'm, you know, I do have sympathy in the sense that I can't work out how they do that um, because there are no kind of clear. You know there are there are no clear answers. I again I agree with Chris. I think Dwight Gale has to come back into it, and I think he will. But um, you know he's not the, he's he's not a sort of long term answer. or hasn't been a long term answer at the club. Uh, you know for for a while. So it's a tricky one. They've got to find a way. I think you know these three games theoretically are an opportunity to put some distance. And I say theoretically because. You know, Fulham could win their three games. I think that's incredibly unlikely. I think it's more likely that mm. Fulham get nothing from from their next three games. But we can't rely on that. Newcastle can't rely on that. And so, yeah, it's it is worrying. It's it's you know it's frightening. It's frightening that in this month Newcastle have said that that those players won't be back in April uh, until April. Well, March is the month that they've got these quote unquote winnable games. So that is. It's a proper worry. I mean, on on Sunday we could even see Christian Atsu in the squad, who which would be an incredible story Good itself Lord. because he, he basically <laughs> was wasn't obviously if the first half of the season was left out of the twenty five man Premier League squad, was told to try and find another club, couldn't get a move away. Same in January, told to find another. And the only reason he was elevated in the twenty five man squad was because DeAndre Edlin was sold. Newcastle couldn't sign the second player they wanted on transfer deadline day, and so they had a spare spot. And so because Christian Atsu was still here, they elevated him in the squad. He hasn't been seen since. He hasn't played. I think he's played once in the League Cup all season. So he hasn't played since since September. And yet, if you look at the options they have, maybe he does come in the squad. I mean, Elliot Anderson is another yeah. who, who may come back and he hasn't been on the bench last few games. Neither has Matty Longstaff. But as an actual sort of wide forward, Atsu may actually, that you may actually get some game time in the coming weeks, which I, if you'd have asked me three or four yeah. months ago, I'd have said there's no chance he was going to play for Newcastle United again. And I, I talked earlier about Newcastle forgetting how to defend. I mean, I think, I think this year, I think... Um, since the start of the year, they've conceded. You know, if they if they concede a goal, chances are they'll concede two goals. I think they've conceded two goals or more in nine of their games since the turn of the year, possibly in all competitions. But um, and so and they've kept one clean sheet. I think so. Yeah. You know, that's a problem because if they're going to concede a goal, who's going to score? So and you know, again, to 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 come back to what I was saying earlier, they have found a way to get further up the pitch which is good because that's allowed them to get into a position to score goals mm-hmm. or to be more attacking or to give themselves more chances, but they're they're still open at the other end or they're still vulnerable at the other end. And now, once you've taken out that potency, or potency is the wrong word, bearing in mind that for all that they've been a lot better since Maximan Almiron, their numbers still aren't very good, their stats still aren't very good. So, you know, but it's mm-hmm. there is potency there. If you remove that... Do they still have that porousness at the back? 
and who scores goals. So it's yeah. It, it's like it's like one of those little. Do you remember those little puzzles you had as a kid? Those plastic puddle, puzzles, and you had to move round one little square to always to try and. <laughs> <laughs> to get it into shape, yeah. To get, to get it into in, yeah. shape, it's sort of like that. You move something, and then it's like it just all that yeah. does is then give you another move. And I'm, I don't blame. Is Steve that your Bruce version for... of a Game Boy when you were young, George? Is that like the well, equivalent yes, in the in the in yes, the, in it the was Chris. Yes, nineteen twenties. Okay. Well, yes, <laughs> I, I, I had that and a hoop and a stick. That's what I had. I had a lump of coal. That's the one. That was my little friend, Lumpercore. I think it's safe to say, lad, lads, that the the West Brom game is now pivotal. In fact, it could actually be double pivotal, couldn't it, Chris? No. Uh, so it's. <laughs> Uh, anyway, let's wrap things up there with that and we're going to move on quickly because we're very short on time now but we still have to get through the quiz and this week uh, it's a European special and we are live within the confines of the Bodega pub in uh, yes. Westgate Road. A lovely yes. bar. We, let's just set the scene. It is uh, Wednesday night. It is post-European game. Uh, Newcastle have just gone down to some Midland team from nowhere uh, and we're all wondering why the hell we bother but the quiz is here and it's time again to do the great Newcastle United quiz uh, it's a European quiz this week and I've got six questions three questions each plus a tiebreaker it's going to be quick fire it's going to be nice and snappy there isn't going to be any wow. bullshit penalty shootouts uh, or anything like that it's just six wow. questions um, you get a point if you get the question right you get Bugger all if you get it wrong. Starting with uh, heads or tails, George? Mm, tails, tails, never fails. Uh, it is a tails. Do you want to go first or past it, Chris? Oh, I better go first. Come on in. Right. I'll be brave, unlike Here we Chris go. European time. special quiz. Newcastle United's first foray back into Europe under Kevin Keegan was against Royal Antwerp in the UEFA Cup. Rob Lee famously scored a hat-trick of headers in that game, but who else scored for Newcastle in the 5-0 win? And I need both names for you to get a point. This is a very quick fire, this, George. <laughs> Say that you have to. Yeah, that was so quick fire. I can't even remember what you said. Royal Antwerp. So Rob Lee scored a hat trick ahead us against Antwerp in the UEFA Cup. Who else scored in the five nil win for Newcastle? Um, well, I'm going to say Andy Cole. Oh, I've got to name two people, have I? Yep. Peter Beasley. Uh, that is an incorrect. That was my incorrect noise, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Right. <laughs> it wasn't just some kind of stomach issue. Uh, Chris, any ideas on the answer? No, I don't know, so I, I was there by the time. Way. Uh, it was Steve Watson and Scott Sellers were the other goal scorers. There we go. I can't, I can't remember anything. This is point. Why do I have to take part in it? I was there for both of those. I was there. Well, I was there. Right, Chris, ready? Yep. Newcastle last played in the old format UEFA Cup before it became the Europa League in 2007. Which Spanish team did United face in the group stages? Um, Celta Vigo. Correct. Wonderful stuff. Celta Vigo, 1-0 to Chris. You knew that one, did you? I knew that. All right. Uh, Question number three, George. Tough shit. Uh, who did Newcastle play in the playoff round to ensure qualification into the 2012 Europa League? I know this one. I, know this um, one. I was there for that. <laughs> um, 
Just can't and remember any of the I do know it. I do, no, no, I do know it. I do know Do you know what? It was so hot. Mm. Well, it, was, it was Greece and it was um, Atromatos. Correct answer, Atromatos. But, one more. Can, can I, I have to tell you a very, very quick story. It was so <laughs> boiling hot, right? It was whenever it was in... So it was the summer. And... Um, it was like about 100 degrees anyway, or 90 degrees anyway, and the sun was shining into the bit of the stadium where the press were, and it was behind this massive glass window. And so by the end of it, by the end of this game, every single press man was topless in this uh, press area, typing away on our laptops, dripping with sweat. Um, it was really horrible. That was a lovely story, thanks. Yeah. Okay, that wasn't, that. A, that wasn't really an anecdote. That wasn't really an anecdote, was it? Anyway, did I <laughs> get really. rid of the thing? Um, Chris, your question Yep After getting through uh, the group round in that particular year 2012, which team did United play in the round of 32? So easy Um, I was there So I think it Was it Methodist Kharkiv or was that the next round? It was Metalus Kharkiv. Well done. That is... Uh, what's the score now? It's, is that 2-1 to Chris? It is indeed. It is. I got really pissed in the hotel bar and told all my journalist colleagues that they were shit. <laughs> that sounds like the most George Corkin thing I've ever heard. Um, George, your question. Which player has the most Champions League appearances for the club? Oh, that's difficult. Is it, George? Um, yeah, I think that is difficult. Mm. Oh, God. Quick fire, George, quick fire. I know it is, but <laughs> I need to think. We can edit this bit out. That's not how quick fire works. Yeah, you're going to have to. No, I don't know. Is it Shearer? Is it probably? Oh, God. Shearer. Right. The answer was sheer given. Sheer given, yeah, I would have said. There we go. Oh, fucking hell. Uh, Sorry, pardon me. Right, George, I don't think you can win now. Chris, if you want to go for a clean sweep and make it 3-1. Uh, behind Alan Shearer and Shola Amiobi, which player has scored the most goals <sighs> in Europe for Newcastle United? The third most goals in Europe. Is this... Um, oh, what's he called? Uh, I was gonna go for. I was gonna no. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Peter Beardsley, but I would have gone previous. No, yeah, I'm gonna go Peter Beardsley, but I would have actually gone for. Uh, I'm think. I'm thinking someone from the '69 team, but no, I'm gonna go for Peter Beardsley. That's incorrect. The answer is Craig Bellamy. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say that. You didn't give me the chance to say that. I could yeah, have said but that. it doesn't matter because you don't get to steal the points here, do you, George? You've already lost. Beasley? I don't, <laughs> I don't think Beasley scored very many European goals at all. Just a few. Just a couple. Just a couple. Uh, there we go. The tiebreaker was going to be how many games have Newcastle United won in all European competitions? That's the Champions League, UEFA Cup, Cup Winners Cup and Fairs Cup. What's your guesses, Chris? Well, George gets to go first because he was, he was tails, so... Oh, go on then. Doesn't matter. He's already lost. Seven, 72. Uh, I'm going to go Chris? for 43. It's 122. There you go. They've won 122 games. Won? 122 games won, yeah. Bloody hell. All right. I'd have won that, though. 
Right. Okay. Actually, do you know what? I think I've got that wrong. I think I that's think how many games we've played. I think, I think you must have got that wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter. It made no difference to the end result. Chris What's the has won the, the amount of games they've won. Um, I'll find out. <laughs> Makes me put the whole quiz in down that. You're right. Yeah, you're right. Let's scrap it this but week. Spe- speaking of quizzes, speaking what? of quizzes, there oh, is yeah. a quiz. If you are listening to this before Friday, this the fifth of March. At 7.30pm that day, we do have an athletic quiz for subscribers uh, where you, you can do. compete, raise money for Prostate UK and uh, basically show who's the most knowledgeable and the, the winner will go through to sort of a grand quiz master qu- quiz. I don't really know what I'm trying to say there, but basically the, be- the, be- the best quizzers from each team and each country, because I think there's a Spanish quiz and a, and a uh, German quiz and things like that. And George Colkin and I will be your host. So George, do, do you want to tell them about what the prize yeah. is? Yes, we have a special signed retro Newcastle shirt signed by the legend that is Alan Shearer, who will also be making a halftime appearance in the quiz to regale us with funny stories and amusing anecdotes. I mean, he might not do that, but um, he will definitely be appearing. So if you want to, to, to join the quiz and also if you want to sign up for a free 30-day free trial with The Athletic, you can go to theathletic.com forward slash PCUK and register to play the quiz. That's theathletic.com forward slash PCUK. And I think you've got till 3pm on Friday to be able to sign up to join the quiz, which starts at half seven. I'll be joining in with that, I think, as well. Uh, And I've just double-checked, and Newcastle have now played 122 European matches in total, which doesn't include the dozen inter-total cup games, an impressive record of 67 wins, 26 draws, and only 29 defeats, with 195 goals scored and 116 conceded. Uh, That's a goal difference of plus 79, if you were keeping count. No, did you? Yes, I said 72, wasn't I? Yeah. But you'd already lost so the quiz, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, but I would have also uh, got Craig, Craig Bellamy, that, which you interrupted on, and I, so I win 3-2 three, three, this week. No, that's not how it works, George. You, you, you played first. You could have passed the question to Chris and you would have got the other questions. So stop sulking. No, I'm not sulking. Sort yourself I'm just, out. I, I know that I <laughs> no, I'm not sulking. So I'm not sulking. Ah, uh, well, there we go. Are you, are you quite done yet? Are you done? Children. There we go, ladies and gents. Th- thanks for listening. Uh, please remember to hit subscribe so that you don't miss any shows. Leave us a review uh, and a rating if you're feeling particularly generous. And we'll be back next time with another Pot on the Time. Cheers, chaps. Bye-bye. The Athletic.